Uh, we're starting a new series today. Is anybody feeling like emotionally crazy? Anybody feeling emotionally crazy? Yeah, it's like it's kind of, there's some people that'll admit it. Uh, if you're not there yet, like it's only December 4th, just count on it. By 11th or the 18th or the 24th, you're going to have some kind of emotions. It's one of those seasons. It's the most wonderful time of the year, but it's, it's one of the most stressful times of the year. So today we're starting a new series called Seasonal Emojis. Uh, and let me tell you my story with emojis. For those of you that don't know what emojis are, it's those little yellow things that people put in text and now you randomly see all over the place. So I was really, really opposed to uh, the emoji life, as I call it. Uh, I was really opposed to like putting these things in there. I thought it was for 13-year-olds, 10-year-old girls, and, uh, and, and, then, and then my wife. Uh, she was really into it as well. And uh, <laughs> she would send me lots of heart emojis, and I'd be like, love you too, you know, and no emojis. And it was like almost offensive when I did that. But let me just say, like, I was once blind, but, but now I see. Uh, I was lost, but... <laughs> Now I'm found. I'm into the emoji thing now, and I got crazy on it. I feel like I want to go a week talking to nothing but emojis, um, so that, that would be uh, fun. But um, <clears throat> And now they have these things called GIFs, which are basically like just crazy. Um, they, they have movement, and so I'm, I'm really into that too now. Uh, but it, it's a crazy season of year. Uh, one time I was really stressed, and I, I didn't realize it. I, I, my eye started twitching. Anybody ever had your eye twitch because of stress? So I went to one of my friends who's a nurse, and I said, man, like, my eye is going nuts right now, and I've never had this. Am I allergic? Did I eat something? Am I just pollen because I have lots of allergies? He said, it's probably stress. I said, I'm not even stressed. I feel good about life. You know, things are going pretty well. He said, you know, your body handles it sometimes for you, so you actually don't have to deal with it in your brain. How many of you guys have ever went to the doctor, like, hoping for, like, a big diagnosis or, like, Maybe you're a little hypochondriac where you always, like, you're trying to figure it out and you WebMD it, but you go to the doctor and you're hoping for a big diagnosis and he's like, yeah, it's probably just stress. And you're like, come on, it's got to be more than stress. And the truth of the matter is that we all deal with it in different ways. I actually heard at one point that stress, uh, without it, our heart would stop beating. I don't know if that's true, but it certainly helps to make the point that we can't avoid it in our life. It's all of us have it. And this is one of those seasons where it doesn't take long driving to traffic or through traffic at the town center. And if you didn't have stress coming in, you will have it by the time you make it to your store. And by the time you find a parking spot, you're over it and you never want to go back again. Uh, you'll be done for the next, you know, till July. You'll be ready to go back. Um, it's, a st- it's a stressful time of year. And whether it's parties or whether it's emotions that come in the season, um, where we, we reflect on a very difficult 2016 uh, or look forward to a 2017 that might be a little better. Whatever those emotions are of, of loss and joy and expectations, they all come rushing in. And I, I just want to take some time to talk about what I feel, one, is, is really plain in the scriptures that I can imagine Mary and Joseph had a lot of stress. And I want to kind of look at this, this great, great uh, narrative we have of the birth of our Lord and kind of talk about that in terms of stress and how we deal with that because uh, we, have, uh, we, have a lot of, we have a lot of stress. And there, there's really two places that we find a birth narrative in the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for those of you that don't know. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as synoptic Gospels, sin meaning um, together and optic meaning to be seen. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are to be seen together because all three of them are in chronological order. 
Mark doesn't include the, the birth narrative. He, he leaves that out and actually puts a, a real emphasis on the passion narrative, the suffering of Christ. So you see him start, Mark chapter 9 through 16 is all like suffering of Jesus. That's a lot dedicated to, to that uh, and no birth narrative. But we find it in Matthew and Luke, and so I want to read that today. And John does not include the, the birth narrative, but he, he does point to Jesus way further back because he, he does it more in a thematic approach. And so in John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. For John, he uses the word as Jesus. He's always referring to Jesus. So he's not pointing to a birth narrative. He's actually saying, Jesus, not, when he came here to this earth, that was not the start of Jesus. He was there at the beginning of creation. If you read the, the, through the Old Testament after you know Jesus, like some of us, like when we really don't understand the gospel, we try to read the Old Testament and it just makes us mad and confused. But when we read the New Testament and we not just read it, but we know what the gospel is and that the story, this love story of a man who came and like became love and lived it out and died for us, the story of redemption. We go back and we read how God asked Abraham to sacrifice his first and only son. We're like, whoa, that's, that's a little bit deep. <laughs> and then we get into the prophets that are all hundreds of years foretelling all these crazy details about Jesus, and he would fulfill every single one of them. And the probability of him being able to fulfill every single one of those is out of this world. It's like huge. It's more crazy than winning the lottery. And he did it. And so let's talk about stress. Let's, let's read in the two passages here, and then I'll kind of just give you some thoughts on what God's really trying to do in our heart, because when we're physically battling stress, um, God wants to do some things in our life spiritually and emotionally. So let's look at, at uh, the Matthew passage first, uh, which kind of gets us started. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged, it's like engaged, uh, to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, before they had whoopee, uh, not whoopee pies, which my wife made at, but whoopee, you know what whoopee is. She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Keep going. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's jump right into Luke. So Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth. It's the same telling, or it's a different telling of the same kind of events. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, a census, if you will, an old school census, uh, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her first, firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Um, I think our greatest stress comes from three things, and I think we'll see these three things in the story of that we just read. Our greatest stress comes from unmet expectations, 
situations that are out of our control and not making room for Jesus. Unmet expectations, situations out of our control and not making room for Jesus. I think we'll see these throughout the scripture. And many of us in the room, we can grapple with the idea. We don't know fully, but we can understand that Jesus loves us. He has a plan for our life and kind of buy into this gospel message and fall in love with this gospel message more than buy in. But the idea that, that when we receive Jesus, that he would come in and he would make us whole is a whole other thing for us to grapple with. So if, if you're a Christian and you're not letting Jesus into your emotional life, you're not letting Jesus in. <laughs> you're not making room for him. And so I want to talk about this because really those physical things are, are, are very spiritual. And so I want to talk about trust, our trust today. Uh, trust, trust God in the undone. Trust him in the out of control and trust him in the, the overflowing plate in our life. So that's the three points. They're all in front of you now. Um, but I got a lot, a lot I want to share, so let's dive right in. First, let's kind of start with Mary. Let's talk about trusting God in the undone, because that's where a lot of our stress comes. Terrence, I don't know if you found that phrase somewhere, or if you just coined it, and if so, I think we need to, to copyright it or something. I think we could make some money off of it, but it's a really good phrase, I think, that that, that shares, um, I think, what a lot of us go through. I mean, picture this with Mary for a second. I mean, ladies in the room, you kind of picture how your life's going to go, and you know, you're going to get married one day, or maybe not. Maybe you don't want to get married. You get your career started. You just have this picture. And guys, you have this picture of how things are going to go. And I think for Mary, she probably said her and Joseph are engaged at this point. They're planning the ceremony and talking about all that stuff. It was nothing like it is now, but, you know, just roll with me here. Um, they're just kind of planning the ceremony. They're getting excited about marriage. Getting, and then even after the baby, then she's like, okay, God, I can receive this. I'll walk with it. Kind of picture now, okay, we'll have a nice home birth. The Messiah playlist will be on in the background. We'll have our nice volcano <laughs> candle um, going. And things just didn't work out like that. At seven, eight, nine, ten months pregnant, a couple weeks before she's supposed to have a baby, hop on the donkey, sis. Let's go. Like, how many of that's in your plans? Like, lately, we got some pregnant ladies in the room. If two weeks before you're supposed to have this baby, let's hop on and let's go to North Carolina on a horse. Like, yes. <laughs> not in your plans. It's not in your plans. And when you get there, it's not going to be a beautiful, like, little birth in a nice hospital or a home birth or whatever you want to do. Um, yeah, we're going to have it out back in this kind of hollowed out cave, nasty, muddy, extra space that someone has in their backyard, right? Not exactly what you had in mind. That's kind of what Mary's going through. She had this picture of how things were going to go, probably, and God had different plans, and life was just going to happen, and, and she had to kind of follow with what God, the doors that he had opened up there, it was not, not in her plan. Uh, some of this is in controlled by personality as well. I think in my house, like I have certain expectations for how um, our house is kept. And, I, and it's most of it's personality driven because I'm just a little bit OCD. All right, for those of you that know me, I'm a lot of OCD. Um, and so like I have certain expectations about rooms that are supposed to be clean, but I've got this one pile in my room that just gets bigger and bigger. And it's just kind of my safe space to throw all my stuff, right? So I have expectations about everything else. And, and I project my expectations at our 
previous job, like for whatever reason, we didn't work in the Bahamas, but it was like Bahama culture that everybody showed up super late. And like for me, late is like being on time. Like if it's 10 o'clock, like then being there at 10 o'clock, you know, 10 o'clock is late. You know, being 10 minutes early is how you're supposed to do it. And so I found myself projecting all of my expectations on everybody else. And I was so frustrated, and it actually had isolated me from everyone in my life because I was projecting those things. And I, I, it lost, I lost all my relationships because really what I was doing is constantly standing in judgment, standing in judgment. Our expectations matter. Personality comes into that. Uh, a little while back, Taryn and I went to a wedding, and usually when we go to weddings, we, uh, I'm performing the ceremony, or a lot of times we'll sing a girl down the aisle, which is always fun too. And we went to this wedding, and we were none of which. And for those of you that don't know, I talk about it often. I look like an extrovert here in front of people, and I feel very comfortable in front of people in this environment. But when I'm out, like, outside of this really, this space, uh, I'm an introvert. Like, I just, I revert back to who I really am. Like, I, I have to walk into what God's called me to do in, in this role. But I'm an introvert. And so we go to this wedding, and for Taryn, like, it's a night where we're all going to get dressed up. And the kids are going to get dressed up. And there's child care at this wedding. And she's excited about that. And um, it's just a wedding to me. And so I'm not really thinking about it. I just go. And then, but then as soon, like it was a very beautiful wedding. Kids are pretty good for the most part. And then we get to the reception. And we know the bride and groom and a couple family members. But they're all busy doing stuff, wedding party stuff does. And so it's just us and our kids. And we're trying to figure out what to do. And as an introvert at a wedding reception where you don't know anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? It's not a nice date night out. It's torture. It's literal torture. I'm just like, get me out of here. But I didn't communicate that to her. I was just kind of giving the cold shoulder, like, yeah, I want to leave. Yeah, I want to leave. And she's just like, this is date night. We're all dressed up. There's a place to put the kids. Free food, free child care. This is a great date night. Her expectations were so different from my expectations. I tell this in, in pre-marriage counseling, expectations when communication is not, uh, not preceded by communication are rarely met. They're rarely met anyway, but when we don't communicate our expectations for our spouse or for our boss um, or for our kids ahead of time, we really set ourselves up for a big disappointment. So we've got to change our expectations. And here's the thing, when we trust God in the undone, I trust him in the undone, he refines us to be used far beyond our expectations. Think about this. We have this plan of how it's going to go, and when we just trust God in the undone, he refines us in the process. And what we thought we were going to be doing, what we thought was going to be our expectations, where he uses us so far beyond that in our wildest imaginations. Look at Mary. That's the same thing happened. She just had to trust God. She didn't really have a choice. Like She was just kind of going with it. Had to. And God used her beyond her wildest imagination and her expectations. So God can use you. And so today, I just want to tell you, like, trust God with the undoneness of your marriage. Trust God with the undoneness of your career goals and aspirations. Trust God with your health. That's a work in process. Your body that when you started 2016, you thought it was going to look like something else at the end of 2017. And for me, it's the opposite, right? Can I get an amen from anybody? Thank God. I thought nobody was going to say anything and I was going to be left out here exposed <laughs> that I've not been in the gym. Um, trust God with the undoneness of your, your marriage, your goals, your church, your career, everything. Like, just trust God in it. Let him refine you through the process. 
Second thing is trust God in the out of control. And so much of our stress in life comes from things we can do nothing about. Nothing about. Think about Joseph. He was literally a guy in a glass box of emotion. Like he just had so much going on in his life. He was expectant about marrying, um, marrying Mary. Uh, he, was ex- he was excited uh, uh, about this, you know, looking forward to it. And then his world gets rocked. And like, what do you think is going through his mind? Did she, did she cheat on me? Did she step out on me? He's trying to wrestle with all these things, but God comes and and this situation that's completely out of control, he, the scripture tells he had nothing to do with it. But what's the angel say to Mary? What's the angel say to Joseph? What's the angel say to the shepherds and specifically to Joseph here? Don't freak out. <laughs> Don't be afraid. I know this isn't the way you thought things were going to go. But trust me, don't, don't be afraid. Like, what's happening? This is God, this is, and this is good. If it's God, it's good. We can trust in it. So we've got to trust God in the out of control. Let me give you three quick keys on this, because he just had to roll with it. He had to be faithful. Joseph had to walk it, walk it out there. Uh, as much stress, as much as the rumors were going around, what people were saying about Mary, what they were telling him he should do with her, which in this time, she was probably 14 or 15 years old. My, my dad was had by his mother when, when she was 14 or 15 years old. I can't remember one of the two. But that's probably about the age she was here. Things were not going as planned. This is out of, out of uh, his control. Let me give you three quick keys here. We got to let go of the things I cannot control. I got to take responsibility for the things I can. And I've got I've to trust that God's in control. Let go of the things I can't control. Take responsibility for the things I can. And trust that ultimately God's in, in control of it all. Starts with letting go uh, of the things I can't control. The truth of the matter is that a lot of us in this room, if we're really honest, we got control issues. A lot of us. And this walk with the Lord, these scriptures will constantly challenge us. If, if you have been walking with the Lord for any stretch of time and you have not lost control of anything in your life, of what you thought, if you have not had to change, you're not following Jesus. That's just a hard truth for you to hear this morning. If you are not having to submit areas of your life, and like, I thought it was like this, and now I understand it's like this. If I'm not having to submit to the words of Scripture and to what the life that God calls me to and the fullness, first of all, you're missing out on all the good stuff, and you're probably complaining about all the bad stuff. We're missing out on the good stuff. Because... Because the good stuff comes in submission. It doesn't come when we're in control. It comes when he's in control. And so we've got to tr- trust um, God and let go of the things I can't control. Every season of our life will bring a new opportunity uh, to relinquish unsubmitted areas of my life. Every single season will be a new opportunity. And sometimes you look back and like, to where you started, and you're like, whoa, I'm a completely different person. Like, yep, that's how it works with Jesus. Like, we just transforms us, and we look back. I mean, you, you guys would just not, I mean, I tell you stories. I, I put a thing on Facebook this week. I said, does anybody know how many times I've confessed to crimes on stage? Um, and someone said it's at least four, at least crimes, yeah, at least four crimes I've, I've admitted to. God's just brought me so far. He's just brought me so far, and that's what happens when we trust God on the things we, we can't control, or um, we let go of the things I can't control. 
Think about it like this. A lot of times, we pray stress-filled prayers. And a stress-filled prayer is not the same as a faith-filled prayer. Grab a hold of this. Sometimes we get mad because we don't feel like our prayers are going up and reaching there, reaching heaven, and they're hitting the ceiling, but I, th- I think some of your prayers need to hit the ceiling, and they need to come back down to your heart because they went up in stress, and they need to go up in faith. When, when, you're, when you're praying stress-filled prayers, you're not praying faith-filled prayers. So that needs to be a filter. You need to thank God for the ceiling because you need to let it hit you, get back in your heart, like, wait a second, you're right. Let me, let me come at this the right way in faith, right? And God can handle your doubt. He's not afraid of that. God can handle your questions. There's no reason for him to be afraid of them, okay? You can rest in that, but you can also rest in what you can't uh, and let go of the things you can't control and the things you don't know and then pray that prayer in faith again. And so the second thing is take responsibility uh, for what I can control, I was reading the news uh, this week, news articles, and I read three or four articles in a row that just kind of disgusted me with our culture because we live in such a culture that is constantly passing the blame. Constantly. Constantly. Democrats are blaming Republicans. Republicans are blaming Democrats. And no one is taking responsibility for anything. Like, our favorite coaches will blame it on this, and our favorite players will blame it on the refs. And like, we, we're just constantly, we're just passing the blame. How about this? You didn't play a good enough game today. Ever, ever thought, think about that? And are there plenty of things to, to go, there's so much blame to go around. We can find a million people and a million things to blame. But when we do that, we lower our expectations for ourselves. And our focus gets on all the wrong things. So we've got to take, for, take responsibility for the things I can control. Think about that for Joseph. As he's walking out this journey, he couldn't control this, but he could take responsibility to what God said to him to do. Name him Jesus, take Mary, doesn't matter what everybody else is saying. He could take responsibility for what God asked him to do. That's what he needed to do. This was a situation that was out of his control, but it was, it's a matter of putting our life in God's control. So we've got to take responsibility. Uh, Pastor Stephen Furtick said it this way, we can't always fix our situation, but we can fix our focus. Can't fix our situation, but we can fix our focus. That is something that we can control. And then lastly, we've got to trust that God is in our control, or that God is in control. When, our, when we feel like our situation's out of control, we just got to remember, but God's in control. And in fact, the, the, the areas that sometimes the seasons where you're out of control or the life seems out of control or situations are out of control, like that's when God's, we really have an opportunity to grow. Really have an opportunity to grow. When we trust God with things out of control, our faith, our faith grows. Because it's not about sight. Like we struggle with that. That's our control stuff. Like we, I want the answer now. I want it. Was it now? Was it now? When it's out of our control, that's, that's trust. We're finally leaning into trust in that season. And most of us, like, we have this giant up and down journey with God. And we can be like, well, that's just seasons. Like, we've got seasons. And yes, and amen, there are seasons, and there will be highs and lows. I'm not, not discounting that fact. There's also a steadiness to faith. 
when our eyes are fixed on Jesus, that nothing changes that. My peace doesn't change whether I've got lots of money. Now, emotionally, I'm having to submit those things and I have to put it in, in, in Christ. But there should be the steadiness when our eyes are fixed on God and trusting that he's out of control. The reason that we're so reactionally, uh, reactionary most of the time in our faith is because our, our trust isn't really in God. And it's not until we get to one of those bottom of the pit moments where we realize that, man, I just got to trust God more. Uh, last thing, trust God with the overflowing plate. I think these are three big areas that, that all of us, every single one of us, we got to deal with. This is big ways that stress comes in our lives. Trust God with the overflowing plate. We get this picture of the innkeeper is the common phrase that's used. I don't know how many of you guys have been in podunk towns, but in podunk towns, there's not hotels with concierges and bellhops at the door. <laughs> there's probably not even a hotel in a podunk town, and Bethlehem is a podunk town. It's a tiny little place, so don't picture like a hotel. It, actually, the, the word that's used here is the same word that Jesus Ask the disciples to go prepare a place for them to have Passover, the Last Supper. It's the exact same word. He's basically saying, find an empty room, a guest room. Somebody's house, somebody's not sleeping in that we can have a meal. And when we were in Kenya last year, year before, I forget how long it's been, um, which I think we're making a trip this coming summer. So if you're interested in a mission trip, um, this will be, be an awesome one. Uh, with Pastor Ismail going to his community and lots of different things. And it's going to be migration season in Kenya, which it will blow your mind. Um, so anyway, um, so we saw this in, in like the Masamara Reserve, and they made, make houses out of dung. And up front, it's very small houses, maybe like the size of this small stage, kind of to the wall, just straight back to the wall. And it's all, like, there's a, there's a fire in the middle, and our eyes are just burning. And there's, like, a, a bed here for mom and dad, and, and, like, on the ground that's just kind of dirt and, and some kind of thatch work. And then over here for the kids, all three or four or five or six, they all just sleep in the same area right next to each other. And usually up front, if their house is big enough, they have a little guest room. The, the, the kitchen, the living is all around the fire in the middle. And right up front is usually a little guest room, or an in, like a, what we're referring to here. But in this scenario, most time we think of like the stable or something like that. But mo- a lot of theologians and, and, and historians think that it's probably in a cave. They were kind of pushed up against a cave and there might have been some kind of opportunity like that. And so what we see is this is, again, this is Joseph's hometown. Going back to his podunk town to register. That's where you register for the census. So he goes back there and he's going to family members, but everybody, everybody's having to come back and check in. And so they get there. It probably took them a little longer. She probably had to stop to use the bathroom a few more times. Probably took them a little bit longer on the journey. And by the time they get there, most everything's filled up, right? This person's son and daughter came in. They live over there and they, they came in and and they're sleeping in the guest room. And they've got, you know, two adults and two kids in there. I mean, come on, like they, they don't have a room. So many times when we look at this, we think of there's issues of, of heart, that nobody's going to let Jesus in. Because if we were in that situation, we're like, come on, you, like, Beckett, you're out. Jesus is sleeping there. <laughs> like, they're going to have the baby in your bed. Like, this is, that's how we think of it in hindsight. But it was just the practicalities of life here. It wasn't a matter of anybody's heart. I mean, this is their family. Of course, they're going to make room for, for Jesus. But it's just the practicalities of life. And I think this is how, where a lot of us are in our relationship with God. There's just not room. 
There's just not room. How many of you guys enjoyed Thanksgiving? Have a good Thanksgiving meal? Amen. I'm ready to go back for round two. Um, I, I, need like the, I need the big old china plate, like the ones that are real hard. Don't give me the paper ones that will fall apart. Or the, I need the, china, the big china plate. And, and so we, we go around, and we get some mashed potatoes, and we get some gravy, and get some dressing, stuffing, and you know, gravy all over everything. And then we get to squash casserole, and that's when we start our evaluation process. We're like, all right, this plate is nine inches. And I got mac and cheese, and we start looking down. And I got a roll I can just throw on top, ham I can just throw on top, right? But that sweet potato, there's got to be room for that sweet potato souffle at the end. Marshmallows or no marshmallows. I'm a no marshmallow guy. By the time I get down, I got I to gotta have room, right? You Come on, don't act like you don't do this. Am I the only one that does this? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. We're planning things out, you know, check, making our list and checking it twice, you know, looking around, making sure we're going to have enough room. And we've got to make a decision between squash casserole and what's going to be at the end. And for most of us, we get to the end of our day, we get to the end of our week, the end of our year, and there's never room for Jesus. There's, no, there's never room. There's no room for the good stuff, the best stuff. And, and the hard thing in, in this process, it's not just a priority conversation, it's a practical conversation in which our, our, our faith gets roots and legs and things start changing about our life. And Jesus is not the afterthought at the end. He's the first. Because he is the first. Because he is worthy of the first. Not because if I put him first, everything else will be great in my life. And that's not necessarily true. Not everything's going to be great. But when he's first, it's all blessed. He's first. And there's unsubmitted areas of our life and there's unsubmitted areas of our schedule and of our budget that God wants to speak into. We, we get the play filled up and most of the time we're wrestling and we, and we think we're having to decide between something that's good and something that's bad, but that's an easy conversation. Most of the time we're having to decide by two things we like, two things that are good, but we need to make a decision on what is best. Something's greater and if anything is greater, you're making an idol out of that. Because nothing is greater than God and Jesus Christ in our life. Nothing should be. Nothing should be. My marriage is secondary to my relationship with Jesus Christ. It is secondary. My family outside of that, secondary to my relationship with Jesus Christ. My role as your pastor in this church, secondary to my walk with Jesus Christ. How much money I make or don't make, secondary to my relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I heard this story years ago, and I, I tell it almost every Christmas because it's kind of too good to not share. And some of you will be like, yeah, I've heard that like five times. I can finish it. I can tell it better than you can. Um, but it's this story of this, this, this little church that had this little Christmas play, and there was this little boy named Timmy. And Timmy had some kind of disability. I don't remember what the disability had. But it, it was enough where the, the director of the play and his mom and dad were not super sure that he could memorize lines. It was like one of those where all the kids do lines. And we're going to do that December 18th, so it's a great day. Invite your friends, and it's just going to be cute. The last 10, 15 minutes of the service, kids will sing songs and you know, say, shake some bells, and it's going to be um, lots, of, lots of fun. Um, and little, they decide, okay, little Timmy, you can be the innkeeper. Because there is one line, right? We saw it there at the end in, in Luke uh, 2, 7. One line. There's no room in the end. You can do that, Timmy. So Timmy, of course, he just 
He's going to own this line, so he's going to rock it. And so he's just, he's in it. Uh, he's a method actor, if you will. He's just in the role. <laughs> and uh, he, he gets, and he's practicing. There's no room in the end. There's no room in the end. There's no room in the end. And they've got a nice, like, little stable thing set up, probably out of cardboard or something. And Timmy's inside, and finally comes the night of the performance, and someone comes and knocks on the door, and nothing. He doesn't, he doesn't open. He's probably still practicing his line. And finally, they knock again, and, and, and Timmy comes out. And they ask, you know, is there any room? And he said, there's no room in the inn. And Timmy says, but you can have my room. And it's like this, this overwhelming, like, I know everybody's there. Like, it's like, I would, if you, I was there, I would be boohooing, like, with that moment. But it's this deep principle for us. I think particularly when we're talking about what's stressing us out. We've got to give him our plate. We've got to give him our schedule. We've got to give him our budget. It's his. He, he doesn't deserve leftovers. He deserves the first. And we put him first. Everything else comes into alignment. Comes into alignment. And we think about that on our own schedules, but that's what God did for us. He, he sent Jesus first. He made, he made room for us to remember our name. And so I just want to call you to just think and pray this morning. I want to call you to reflection and call you to surrender ultimately. Let me just sing that song, Take Over. It was, it was you guys, hearing you guys sing that and just pray it was from our hearts. And I think what this, ta- what this table does, what this opportunity we have now is a response to maybe our overflowing plate. If it's not there, it'll probably be. And a lot of times we think our life will slow down when I get to this point. If you're a student, if you're a young person, you'll think, oh, like when I get this age, when I'm at this and that, and we make all these, make all these excuses. When I get to this point, then that. We're missing out on the present. We're missing out on what God has for us now. There's purpose for you now. There's joy for you now. There's peace for you now. We've got we to gotta lay down some things. We've got to lay down just unsubmitted areas of our life, the things we can't control. Let go of those things. Take responsibility for the things we can. And just let God blow our mind far beyond our expectations. Just let him refine you in this season. Let him refine you in this time. And put him first. Put him first. Seek first his righteousness, the kingdom of heaven. Everything else will be added to you. I didn't say it. That came from the mouth of Jesus. So I want to ask you to stand. I'm going to call you to prayer into the table this morning. These guys are going to lead us. Why don't you pray with me? And as always, these crosses are, are open, and I challenge you to use them. Make a practical, physical response at this altar, at the cross. This at the table is a, a physical response. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness. God, that you see beyond our doubts. You see beyond our questions. And you are lover of our soul. And God, I don't want to miss anything that you have for me, not just in the next three weeks, but 2017 and 18 in this lifetime. I don't want to look back when I'm 90 years old, God willing, and say, I missed it. I missed what God had for me. I want to look back at my son's life and know I didn't do everything I could. I'm going to take responsibility for the things I can't control. 
God, I thank you. I thank you for this time that we get to reflect and just let you, let you in, God. I pray that every heart here would place you first. And I pray that would bleed out into our lives and there would be tangible differences in our emotions, in our schedules. God, wake us up this morning. Help us to walk in your presence. We thank you for teaching us what it means to trust Christ's name.